Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We've started a new sermon series last week entitled Call His Name. We're talking about the names of Jesus. And uh, I want you to look deeply into these names. I, I know that you're familiar with the names of Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus being the Word of God from all eternity from John chapter 1, the Word made flesh. Today I want us to consider the name Jesus of Nazareth. That, is, is not an extraordinary name, but I'm asking you to look a little deeper. My wife can look deeply into things. We were, <laughs> uh, she was looking at Instagram or something yesterday, and uh, I had already looked at Instagram. I can do it in, you know, a few minutes. Just, you know, I've seen it all. And uh, anyway, my wife came up and said, did you see the picture that, and, you know, family, you know, family we know, did you see the picture they posted? I said, yeah, I, I, I saw that little, you know, little picture. She said, they have a piano in their living room. Who do you think plays? And I'm just like, what? I mean, like it was just like a picture. And I looked at it and, you know, swipe, you know, I'm done with, with that. But Casey's like looking deeply, like be careful what you put on the internet, y'all, because if my wife's following you, it's like she will know what you had for supper because she's going to look. I mean, she's not nosy. It's just she looks deeply. Anybody else like that? You just kind of, yeah, the whole room. Yeah, you just kind of, I'm going to watch what I put online with you people. Yeah, I mean, just, I'm asking you to look a little bit deeper. I'd be a little more curious about what these names mean because you're going to learn a whole lot more about what Jesus means to you and beautifully what you mean to Jesus. So today let's talk about Jesus of Nazareth from Luke chapter 4. That's his name. Now, I want to, I'm saying Luke, I'm going to go to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. I want you to look at what the book of Hebrews says. Remember last week we talked about the word God who has made flesh. The word became flesh. Let's talk a little bit about that. I want you to understand the radical truth that we're talking about. This is from the book of Hebrews. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. Now, you understanding? We're talking literally. He didn't like look like he had flesh and blood, but you know, if you touch him, your hands will go right through him. No, 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 no. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Therefore, it was, say the word, it was necessary. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. In every respect like us. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 2. He could offer a sacrifice. You understand, he himself is that sacrifice. He is that sacrifice. Which means, if he's going to take my place... My place of punishment, your place of condemnation, if he's going to be the substitute for one of us, then he has to be in every respect like us. He must become like what he must say. This is the gospel principle. So it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. That's what we're talking about today. That's a little bit of what comes into play when you use the name Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man he came from a place, and he lived an earthly life. If you don't really believe me, you just ask the people at Nazareth. Now, here's the thing. You've got to hold this together. Jesus was totally human, not partially human, not just look like one of us. He was totally human, and at the very same time, totally God. Amen. Totally human, totally God at the same time. There's no other person 
that you could ever make that claim for. There's only one. His name is Jesus, and only he is God in the flesh. But Jesus on earth, in that earthly ministry, he's completely human, totally human, and totally God all at once. Now, it's a little bit hard to hold that together. It's one thing to talk about God in the flesh. We talked about that last week. And some people struggle with God in the flesh. But today we're talking about God in the flesh. And a lot of people struggle with God in the flesh. Uh, and again, especially the people at Nazareth. Let's talk about this. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to ask you to look a little bit deeper and, uh, and find out how the Lord will speak to you today. Luke chapter 14. I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak. The scripture that you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. No prophet is ever accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only the one was healed, Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. What I want you to see is that when Jesus was on earth, nobody questioned his humanity especially the people at Nazareth. They knew him. They had always known him. You know the Christmas story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. If you follow the story, his family, then they had to flee. They went into Egypt for a time. But then they came back to Nazareth, and Jesus grew up. He spent all of his growing up years in this little village, and it's a tiny little place. Grew up there and in this synagogue, so everybody knew him. These are the people who literally watched him grow up. They, they knew his daddy. They knew his mama. They, they knew the family. They, they knew Jesus. And for that reason, his humanity is obvious to them. I, I mean, very obvious. Now, I, I bring this up because I think it's different for you and me. 
while on earth his humanity was so utterly obvious, I think for us today on the other side of all of that, on the other side of the crucifixion, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of Jesus as having ascended back to the Father, we know now he is in all eternity at the right hand of the Father giving intercession for you and for me. I mean, this is our faith. We just lit up this place in worship of him. We don't struggle with Jesus's divinity. In Nazareth, it was his divinity. It's the fact that he claimed to be something other than just everybody else. That's what makes them want to throw him off a cliff. It's his divinity that they can't accept. But for us, it's the opposite thing. As a worshiper of Jesus, the more you exalt him, I think the harder it may be to grasp that he was shockingly, completely human in every way. I think this is our dilemma. In Nazareth, it's the opposite. But on our side, it's just to accept that he was human in every single way, like one of us. We can say it with our mouths, but to absorb the radical truth of that, the shocking truth that he was in every respect just like us. In Nazareth, they had no problem accepting that. All of those years... I, I know, I know. In the scriptures, we have a story of Jesus at the age of 12. After that, nothing. Not until he begins his public ministry. He's probably about 30 years old. So there are all of these years where we don't have a single story. And you got to wonder why there aren't any stories from the Nazareth years. I want middle school stories. I want high school stories. I want to know all about Jesus, but I'm not told anything. Why do you think there's not a single story from those Nazareth years? Because my hunch is there was nothing to report. He was ordinary. Nothing. Nothing outstanding. I know he's Jesus. I know he's the eternal word in the flesh. But he was ordinary. He was human. Just human. This isn't like one of those Marvel comic stories where he's Superman, but, you know, he may be a boy, but, you know, he can still, like, you know, bulletproof. No, Jesus is human. And there aren't any stories in the middle because I don't think there's anything to report. He just lived an earthly life. Ask the people in Nazareth. They all know his daddy. And they know his mama. They've known Jesus through all of these years. He goes to the synagogue in his own town because that was his habit. He'd always gone to that synagogue. He was in the youth group in this synagogue. All of his Sunday school teachers in this synagogue. Do you understand this? He's just familiar to them. Had you grown up in Nazareth when Jesus was growing up, it's very possible that your sister could have dated one of his brothers. They're just a family, a local family. It's possible Joseph could have coached your soccer team. It's possible that Mary worked in the concession stand for all the football games for the boosters. I mean, they're just people, Ordinary people, you could have ridden the school bus with Jesus and his brothers and sisters. I mean, everybody just grew up. They were familiar. There were Sunday school teachers who taught Jesus the Word of God. Let that sink in. They were teaching Jesus the Word of God. And, and there's no indication that, that any of them like, you know, saw him shining. He was just ordinary. He could have in some ways been mediocre. I mean, understand, we say that he was sinless. That doesn't mean that like every time he got up in the batter's box, he hit a home run. He could strike out. To strike out is not a sin. Please don't tell me striking out's a sinner. I'll be in hell. I mean, you know, I've never hit the ball. 
It's not a sin to strike out. I mean, Jesus is ordinary. He's human. And if you don't believe it, just ask the people at Nazareth because that's what they struggle with. We know his daddy. So he's the hometown boy that's made well. He goes out and he gets baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptizer and spends 40 days in the wilderness. And after that, people start talking about what he's doing, talking about what he's saying. And those stories have been coming back to Nazareth. And all those Sunday school teachers are proud. All those people who knew Jesus way back when, they're proud. They knew his daddy and they knew Mary and they're patting Mary on the back. You've got to be proud, Mary. He's such a fine young man. And Jesus comes to the synagogue that day and they ask him to read the scripture. That's not extraordinary. He's just a hometown boy back home. He's read scripture in that synagogue probably 100,000 times. In a Jewish synagogue back in the day, you would have at least 10 men. You had to have 10 men, but you'd have probably 10 men. And on the Sabbath, any one of those 10 men, sometimes seven or eight of them, would read from the Word of God and do a little bit of teaching. I mean, that's just how it worked in most hometown synagogues. And so they asked Jesus to, to read the Scripture. It's not extraordinary. They're not asking him because he's Jesus. They just expect this to be normal because they think of Jesus as normal. And Jesus reads. He just reads the passage of the day. And any Jewish man for all time could have read these verses. Nothing shocking, nothing extraordinary about reading this passage in the book of Isaiah. Jesus takes the ordinary scroll and reads the passage of the day. He reads it right off the page. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He read it well. He read it just like they've been reading it for centuries. And then he sat down. Now again, that doesn't mean he's finished. You would read and then you would sit down to do your teaching. So Jesus sits down and they expect him to speak because everybody's listening and looking at him intently. And then he begins to speak. And the first words out of his mouth are, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the hometown boy, like the one they've always known, like they know his daddy, Joseph. You you know, you may have been in Woodshop with Jesus when you were in high school. That Jesus, you've known him your whole life. And that Jesus now reads this passage, sits down, looks you straight in the face and says, you know, all of that is talking about me. When it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it's always been talking about me. This day, this passage is fulfilled in me. See, that's what gets them. Isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph is daddy? Like, how can he say that he's the Messiah? How can he say that this is fulfilled in him? How can he say he's from heaven when any fool knows he's from Nazareth? You understand? That's the dilemma. That's the struggle with the people in Nazareth. Nobody questions his humanity. That's plain. He's Joseph's son. We know him. We've always known him. So amazement turns to anger, and they're ready to push him off the cliff. So understand, 
Jesus's humanity is very, very important. In, in, in Nazareth, it's something that they took for granted. I think it's harder for you and me. I really do. I think for the most part, you and I can worship him and exalt him and see him in heaven lifted up, his name on high. But to really understand that he has been where we are. I think that's difficult. So let's walk through it real quickly. First off, Jesus had a body like yours in every way. A body, a physical human body. It wasn't like a, a God body, like a special God body that was bulletproof. No, no. He, he was human in every way. He had a physical body just like yours in every way, in, in every way. When Jesus was born, he was born a baby like every other baby that's ever been born. He came out purple and, and slippery and cheesy. And, and Joseph cut the umbilical cord. I, I mean, he was just a baby, he was a baby, and he cried. He cried, and she laid him in the manger, and he laid there, and he filled his diaper, because that's what babies do. He was an ordinary baby, an ordinary baby in an ordinary baby's body. Did you hear the message? Did you hear the, the amazing scripture that Manisa read earlier from Philippians chapter 2? Have this same attitude in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to, something to be used for your own advantage. But what did he do? He, he emptied himself. He, he sets all that aside. All this that has to do with, with being the word from God in, in all eternity, all of that, he sets that aside. He empties himself. And he becomes human. He takes on the form of a servant all the way to death on the cross. Understand, he had a body like yours in every respect. That's what the scripture says. You have to acknowledge this. He's just human. The Bible says he grew, which means he grew like every boy has ever grown. You get it? He just grew. He's a baby and he started growing. He, he, he got baby teeth and then he lost his baby teeth. You know, he'd wiggle them around, test them with his tongue. And then he got his big teeth, you know, his permanent teeth. I mean, that's how baby, that's how it works, y'all. He got haircuts. I mean, he just grew. He went through puberty. He had pimples in high school. I figure. I mean, you know, probably. He could have. Why would he not? He probably got the chicken pox, maybe the mumps and measles. You're thinking, no, he, Jesus couldn't have got the chicken pox. Jesus healed the sick. Yeah, I know. But his body was a human body. And I don't know that he always healed himself. On the cross, he didn't manage to, you know, he didn't use his power to set himself, you know, out of all the pain. He didn't deliver himself. Something tells me he suffered sickness. Why would he not? He had a human body. He didn't sin, but that didn't mean he didn't get sick. If he ever ate a White Castle, I promised he did. You know, he got sick. You do. He had a body like yours in every single way. He, he grew his body, when he got hot, he sweats. You understand? Well, when, he, when his heart would break, he would cry tears. When he was wounded, he bled. A body, a physical human body in every way, just like yours. You could see him. You could touch him. You could smell him. It was a human body. Let's keep going. Jesus had a human heart. He had emotions just like yours in every single way. Now, he did not sin, but he had every human emotion I mean, my goodness, for one thing, Jesus, if you pay attention to his life in scripture, he was at every party, which means this guy had to be a fun guy. He must have loved to laugh. He must have loved to dance. His religious critics always criticize him by saying, you know, he's, he's kind of a party boy. Probably he eats too much and he drinks too much. I mean, that's what they said. That doesn't make it true. But they noticed that Jesus was at a lot of parties. 
which means if you had a party, you wanted Jesus there. He was the life of every party. Children loved him. And children are really good judges of character. That's why some of you, like a child, won't go close to you. You, you know, like kids know. They just know. And children love Jesus. They're climbing all over him. The disciples, they weren't that kind. You know, the disciples would come up and, and make the children get away. Get those children away from Jesus. They're going to get their boogers on Jesus. Get the children out of here. And Jesus says, no, no. You leave those kids alone. You let them come to me. Don't you ever stand in the way of a child coming to me. Because as a matter of fact, my whole kingdom in heaven, I want to just live in the children's wing. Jesus loves children. Children loved him. Understand the laughter and joy of his life. At the very same time, do you know he felt frustrated? You know his heart would break? Several times in Scripture, we'll talk about his tears. Goes up and looks over the city of Jerusalem and thinks about the people, and his heart just breaks, and he cries his eyes out. Stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus after Lazarus had died, and he cried. Just like anybody else would cry when your friend dies. You understand? He just had feelings, had emotions, just like you and me. If he did not, I mean, if he didn't have real emotions, then he wouldn't be human. He wouldn't be human. And I don't know if he could be our Savior if he was not like us in every single respect. This is what the Scripture says. Jesus had a mind like yours in every way. I think this is, honestly, I think this is where it gets really complicated. Like, what did Jesus, was he born knowing stuff that, like, other babies aren't born knowing? Because have y'all ever been around babies? They don't know nothing. I mean, they don't know anything. And they have to learn everything. So if Jesus were an ordinary human being with an ordinary human mind, then he learned things. And you're thinking, no, Pastor Tim, Jesus, he was born with all wisdom. But the scripture says he grew in wisdom. He, he grew in wisdom and in knowledge. He grew in knowledge. He learned things through his life. He's God in the flesh, but you've got to remember he emptied himself. He became like us in every respect. He had a mind like you and me. As a matter of fact, not only does the scripture say that he learned things, Jesus himself says there are things he didn't know on earth. He said that not even the Son of Man knows the day in which he's coming back. Only the Father knows that. I mean, you understand, in his life on earth, there were limitations. There were things that even Jesus didn't know. Yes, he's God in the flesh, but understand, he had a mind just like yours and mine in every way. He never sinned, but he had a mind like yours and mine in every way. See, and that's what really gets me. Honestly, that's where I get amazed. The idea that he had a human body like me, I, I don't struggle with that. Uh, I, 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 it's this. That he had a mind like yours and mine and never sinned. C can I just be really human and honest with y'all? Like, most of y'all would think I'm a really good person, and I am. <laughs> because I have learned to control myself and my behavior. Like, I am always on my best behavior with y'all. I mean, so, and I'm not even going to slip. I mean, I mean, you know, I am on my best behavior with y'all because I've learned how to control what I do, you know? So when y'all, you know, pull in for church, I'm like, hey, woo! You know, I act all glad to see you. Most of the time, I am glad to see you. I'll be honest, sometimes I ain't glad to see you. <laughs> but you'll never know. You'll never know. Why won't you know? Because I keep that in my mind.
You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, here she comes. And I'm going, hey, hey. I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you how my human mind works. Like, you'd never know. I mean, I'm always, you know, hey, you know, friendly preaching. You, you know, you have no idea what I think sometimes. Like, I never act like I'm mad at you, and I don't really get mad at you, but then sometimes when you sleep when I'm preaching, I like to pitch you out a window. I won't. I won't ever. I will never pitch you out a window. Sometimes I can see you flying out the window, but I, I won't send you out the window. Do you understand? I have this ability to think things and never do them. I have a very selfish mind. I have a very lustful mind. But I think things and I never do them. That does not mean I haven't sinned. A lot of my sin is underground. You with me? A lot of my sin is, is in my thoughts. See, I can think it. I don't have to say it. But boy, it feels good to think it. You know? And, and this is what's amazing to me. Jesus had a mind just like yours, just like mine. He never sinned which means he never sinned in his thoughts. Not only did he not say it, he didn't think it. I find that amazing. Not only did he not do it, understand he didn't think it. He, he, he did not do it in his heart. He didn't do it in his mind. I find this, of all things, just the most amazing miracle of the incarnation. He became flesh like one of us, like me in every respect, but he never sinned in his thoughts. With that, Jesus had, we'd say, a human will. He had volition. Jesus had choices to make, just like yours and mine in every way. He, he, he had choices to make. I mean, I know you think he's born and, and like he's God in the flesh, so he's on this track that's going to take him you know, straight to salvation, you know, saving the world, and there's no way to fall off or, or to veer. But that, that's not the truth. I mean, he's like us in every way. He never sinned. But you have to understand there was always the possibility that he could. He could have sinned. He wouldn't. He, he's the son of God. He did not. But he was tempted in every way, just like you and me. I mean, the possibility was always there. If it wasn't possible, then he wasn't human. He's human. Like us in every respect, he was tempted like we are in every respect, but without sin. He never sinned. In all the choices he ever made, he, he always chose obedience. Of course he's the son of God. Of course he's the son of God. But you've got to understand, when he was on earth, he, he had a human will. It's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweats drops of blood and cries out, Lord, not my will, but yours. What's he saying? I don't want this. This might not be my choice, but I will choose to align my will with your will, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever choice I make, it doesn't matter what would bring me pleasure or comfort. I will bend my will. I will surrender my comfort. I will bend all of my preference so that they line up with what God the Father wants. Jesus said, I have not come to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who has sent me. So in every moment of his life, in every opportunity to choose, Jesus would choose only every time without fail. He always chose to do what he knew would please the Father. Never sinned. He never sinned. He was like you and like me in every single way. He had a physical human body just like yours. And he had human emotions. He didn't just take on your flesh. He took on your feelings. Never sinned. He had a human mind. 
that he learned and he grew in his wisdom and his knowledge, but he never sinned. Not one time, not even in his thoughts. And every time there's a choice to make, he bent his will to suit the Father's will. You understand? It's the amazing message of the gospel. Yeah, it's the Christmas story, y'all. It's still Christmas. This is what we're talking about, but this is why Jesus comes. Jesus became completely like you that he might save you completely. Understand? Physical body, emotions, your heart, your mind, your will. Understand? He is the one, the only one with power to redeem all of that, to make all of that, to take everything crooked and everything stained and everything sinful in you. And he's the only one who can make you clean, make you whole, because he became like you, completely like you in every respect, so that he could save you in every respect. Understand? Jesus became like you. So that you could become like him. It's the gospel. He became like you. I know sometimes you're tempted to think nobody gets you. Nobody understands what it is to be you. Nobody knows how you hurt. Nobody knows how you've been disappointed. Nobody knows your feelings. Nobody knows your guilt, your shame. Nobody knows what it's like to be tempted the ways you're tempted. Nobody knows the choices you've had to make. This is what we're saying. He knows. He never sinned. He lived your life only a perfect version of it, but understand, he lived your life like you in every respect. What this means, of course, is that whatever it is you need. And no matter how near or far away he seems to you, all you ever have to do is call his name. You call his name. And today we're talking about the name Jesus of Nazareth. It's an ordinary Jewish name. It's a Hebrew name. It's the same name as Joshua. Same name. He's not even the only person to be named Jesus. You understand? It's just an ordinary name. Nazareth is not a special place. I mean, it's just an ordinary village, an ordinary place. And Jesus just grew up there in ordinary human life. This is the point we're making here. The word became flesh. The children were human, made of flesh and blood. And so the son had to become human, made of flesh and blood, so that he could be the sacrifice for our sins. Whatever you need, no matter how near or far away he seems to you, All you have to do is call his name. Pray with me. Jesus, it is your name and only your name upon which we can call. It is you and only you who is God at this very same time has lived a human life. Only you know what it is, Lord Jesus, to walk as we have walked and yet to do so without sin. God, this power that is in your name, this, this power that is there when we call upon your name, Lord Jesus, will you just help us to call? Help us, Lord, to know that you and you alone understand us from the inside out, our heart, our mind, our feelings, our bodies, Lord. You know every single cell in our bodies. Close as you are, close as our own breath, Lord Jesus, let us never think that you were too far away to call upon too far away to know the number of hairs on our head, to know how our hearts break. Lord, you know, you understand. So we call upon you, Lord Jesus, that you 
who knows us completely, loves us completely, can save us and change us completely, body, mind, and soul. We pray these things in the name above all names, the name of Jesus.